Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering us together, a family that you have unified in a faith that you've given by grace. Father, you do everything by grace. May we never become familiar with it. Your grace, your mercy, your love, of course, these things are overwhelming to us in time, and we're just so very grateful that you afford us the opportunity to identify and recognize them, but also to reciprocate in our own small, limited way, Father. What a tremendous privilege it is to abide in the sphere of your love. Father, we pray for those that are ill in our congregation. We just pray that you return them back to us as soon as your will demands, of course. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world. What a wretched state they are in. We just ask that you humble them before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this even a reality for us to enjoy. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to um, share with you a summary I received from uh, Michelle Pavia, our faithful woman's Bible study facilitator, after last week's get-together. I get one of these every time she uh, facilitates, so it's nice. But I want to share it just because it's encouraging, and I want you all to be encouraged as well. Again, good evening, Pastor. As I suspected, we spent more time than usual speaking about what is coming from the pulpit. We dug into Christ-like loving and putting, quote, self on the shelf. And the discipline needed to consider others' perspective, which does not come naturally. We talked about taking on the perspective of, quote, little children <clears throat> and the love that comes from the perfect father and other, quote, fathers like our pastor, Shepherd. We discussed daddy issues and the scar tissue left on many, which God has to scrape away to grow more trust between father and children relationships. There is such peace knowing that our pastor <clears throat> loves God and loves us. To see this God-given gift is a beautiful and comforting thing. There is great comfort knowing your heart tends to the lost and the wounded, whether it is or whether it us individually or another one of our church family members. In families, when a father isn't doing his role to tend to his sheep, it can be easy for one sheep to try to take on a burden that is not meant to be his or hers. I know we can also do this when we lose trust or faith in God. We try to step in sometimes and try to be the, quote, healer or, quote, protector, and it is out of place and certainly not part of his plan nor a yoke he intended for his sheep. We thank you tremendously for your faithfulness to tending to we sheep. We know that there are many ways Satan, the flesh, and the world tries to undermine authority 
and divinely ordained relationships with many attacks. For example, God and his children, pastor and sheep, husband and wife, father and child, and we thank you for persevering. We reread Genesis 26, 1 to 17, and then covered the first bullet in this chapter. <clears throat> it was incredibly edifying and relaxing because we spent the second half of the evening reading scripture that all conveyed the things God promises his children. Perspective and his purpose were key themes throughout Loving Christ, Michelle. So I hope you found that inspiring to echo Thursday's topic on inspiration. Um, and if you're not attending women's Bible studies, ladies, I would encourage you to do so. It's never too late. You just pick up and go. And by the way, men, similar things are going on in the men's Bible study, so I encourage you to attend that gathering as well. All right, with that said and that encouragement on the table, and I do hope you're encouraged by her words, back to our primary course of study. On Thursday, the Spirit finished up our labor on good parenting, and he got very practical up here on the board. For starters, remember, good parenting is met with much more back pressure, persecution, and rejection than parenting, bad parenting is today. Love, though, is able to overcome all of it. And so there's two key principles there. The first one, from a parent's perspective, uh, if you're a good parent, you will be persecuted. If you stink as a parent, chances are you might not be persecuted much at all because the world loves you because you're raising up more morons, more dregs, more bums, more people without any faith whatsoever. That is your job as a parent. It's even above, this is going to sound crazy, in the Bible, as far as I know, it's even above loving your children. Your job is not to pour over them with that gushy kind of love. And some of you are still doing it and your kids are like 30, you know. Your job is to raise them up in the faith. That's what the Bible says. Your job is to raise them up in the faith. That is your primary job. So that they know the love of God. Your love pales compared to the love of God. That's why it's your job to raise them up in a, into a situation that understands our Father in Heaven's love for them. So just remember that. Uh, good parenting is met with much more back pressure, persecution, and rejection than bad parenting is today. And then from the other side of the coin, love is able to overcome all of it. If you truly love your child, raise them up in the faith. If you truly love others, share the good news about Jesus Christ. Romans 1.30, 2 Timothy 3.2 speak about this idea of disobedience to parents. This is one of the maladies that look around. It's one of the, the maladies in our own society today. For a few messages now, the Spirit has turned our attention towards specific areas of biblical parenting. 
we not only considered truths like the one on the board, but also more specifically, the truth about a shepherd's fatherly role in the lives of his flock. I recommended a book to you uh, for additional perspective, and notice I said additional, additional, not in, instead of biblical reading up here on the board. That book is A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, an actual shepherd looks at Psalm 23, <clears throat> and that's by W. Uh, Philip Keller. And a disclaimer here uh, I, that I gave you on Thursday evening. I haven't read the book in a while. I read it a long time ago. It was wonderful. Um, I haven't read it in a while, so just read it with caution. Anytime uh, I recommend a book, which is going to be rare, um, just read it with caution. Just make sure if anything goofy sticks out, let me know, please. If something doesn't look right in the book, let me know, and I'll uh, tend to it, look at it, and, and give you some feedback. Um, I had one copy, and Kathy pulled some kind of RHIP thing, Deacon's wife. She's like, it's mine. Before I even got back there on Thursday evening, there was a note on my desk. I would like your copy, please, Kathy. So you guys, I don't know, you just have to be quicker. You're welcome, Kath. They give you evil stares. Join the club. Back to our previous point about good parenting, in particular, the nature of being a spiritual father, a shepherd that is, we see the attitude of Paul. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4, 6. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Up here on the board, that Greek word spendo, uh, poured out, it's kind of a play even. I'd have to look it up, but maybe that's the, um, the derivative of the word spend. I'm not sure in the English, but it certainly does look like it, doesn't it? Uh, poured out from spendo means to pour out as a libation, Figuratively, to devote one's life or blood as a sacrifice, to spend, to be ready to be offered. And that's from Strong's. Again, verse 6. For I am already being poured out, spendo, as a drink offering. This is Paul writing. Uh, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And the, there's a lot there, obviously, but the point we were looking at this past week was the simple fact that Paul was a shepherd. And whenever that comes up in your soul, what you have to realize, or realize is that a shepherd's vocation Paul's vocation was to live for others. Some of you have, you know, jobs doing this or jobs doing that, um, and they're perfectly fine jobs ordained by God. Uh, they put food on the table, all that kind of a thing, clothes on your back, heat in the winter, and those are all wonderful things. But it's an interesting special vocation when you're called out as a shepherd. 
It is your vocation to live for others. So you have to understand the special gift this is to the church. And here we get to um, the first really key point that's going to carry us through the rest of the message this morning. There's a reason why the Bible calls it a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift. It doesn't say just, hey, you're going to have spiritual abilities. It's a spiritual gift. So I need you to concentrate. The gifts the Spirit gives always function for others. The gifts, the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives always function for others. In other words, an immature person views spiritual gifts as a gift to themselves. They say, you know, look at me. I'm up here. I'm way up here and you're down there. Right? That'd be a moron. Immature people view spiritual gifts as a gift to themselves, as if it's a gift from God to them for their own personal enjoyment, and that's where the buck stops. That's the way an immature person looks at most things that are given by grace, but in particular, spiritual gifts. It's always about them. But anyone who truly understands what Holy Scripture has to say on the topic knows full well that spiritual gifts are gifts to the church, to others. Up here on the board, here's some perspective on spiritual gifts. The gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. It's no different than a bride receiving a a gift from her husband-to-be. I love you. Here's something good for you. That's how you look at spiritual gifts. And you, if you're functioning in your spiritual gift, the one God ordained, we'll get into this, you become a gift to the rest of the, the bride. Do you understand? You become that gift to the church. That's how you look at spiritual gifts. It's a bridegroom giving a gift to his bride and saying, isn't this lovely? So the gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift, and I don't believe that you only have one. Maybe you, can only, maybe you have one focused on one, you know, whatever. But I don't believe in any doctrine that says you can only have one. I think they come in shades, but that's another story. Your spiritual gift or gifts is not about you. It is about your benefit to the church for others. And I hope you do see the distinction here. As I mentioned recently, the church at Corinth is a picture of American Christianity nowadays. Paul says an awful lot about spiritual gifts to the church at Corinth. Why? Because they're a lot like American Americans are now. Spiritual, excuse me, Christian Americans are now. So just like most American Christians I know that have some baseline of what a spiritual gift is or what spiritual gifts are, the Corinthians took the narrow-minded, 
egocentric, selfish viewpoint on spiritual gifts. In other words, they made it about themselves. Isn't that what selfish people always do? Self-absorbed people. It's always about them. And when this happens, now listen, when this happens, you know what people regarding, or you know what people regarding spiritual gifts do? They seek the ones most beneficial to themselves. If spiritual gifts are not about others, you turn it inward. It's about me. It's about receiving something from me. God wants to give me a gift, selfishly. All of a sudden, what gifts do you want? You want the ones that are most beneficial to who? Others? No, you. So they seek the ones most beneficial to themselves. A perfect, very dangerous example of this is obviously with pastors. We've been doing a lot on this. There are a lot of so-called, and I put them in quotes, pastors, a lot of people standing behind pulpits out there that haven't been ordained by God to stand behind pulpits. If they're of the wrong gender, you already know that's not from God. But there are a multitude of other indicators. There are a lot of so-called pastors out there that haven't been ordained by God to stand behind pulpits. Some of them are really good teachers, which is a separate gift, by the way. Some of them are really good teachers, gifted in teaching, the Bible even. They know the Bible well, are faithful to their teaching even. But you know what? They aren't shepherds because God hasn't ordained it. The clearest indication, but not always the obvious one, is that they aren't in the post for others, though they might say they are. They are in it for themselves, which is why they either demand all kinds of money, or they sell stuff, or they demand others, you know, stroke their egos, etc., etc. And you know, this is why the Bible frequently warns us against false prophets. It's, as we just noted this past week, it's a huge God-given responsibility when it's right, a, a shepherd over sheep. The sheep are commanded to submit to this man, to his teaching, to his shepherding even. And so it's a big thing, and Satan knows it. And so he sell, sends all kinds of false prophets into the world to, to um, hack that relationship. He might even work through some of you, as I taught this past week, to sort of fracture that relationship. Even within a godly church like this, it happens, believe it or not. But here's the key point we need to remember up here on the board. Beware. Spiritual gifts are given by God, no one else. If the fruit of a person's efforts is always directed toward themselves, chances are the claims made a void of godly substance. In other words, if the spiritual gift they claim really just directs all things towards themselves, in other words, it's, all, it's always about them, they might even clean the toilets and they make sure they clean them when all of you are present. Do you follow what I'm getting at? Why? Because it's about them. They may do this, but it's always so that somebody pats them on the back because it's always about them, you see. The Bible warns us specifically in the area of 
shepherding. There are so many pitfalls um, in this post that it's, it's impossible to list in a, in a morning like this, obviously. But here's some scripture we're going to look at on this warning from God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who gives these gifts, remember. 1 John 4, 1, 2 Peter 2, 1-3, 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, Jude 4, Matthew 7, 15. Go to 1 John 4, verse 1. 1 John 4, verse 1. And so there's a big cautionary note uh, in Holy Scripture on this one particular spiritual gift. Why? Because the importance, the criticality of it in, in the life of a sheep is so huge. And if you allow it, if you're not paying attention, if you're a lazy learner, if you just go along with what, you know, Grandma Ruthie says, I'm sorry if you have a Grandma Ruth, but a Grandma so-and-so says, and, you know, that's the way we've always done it in the past, and, you know, I go to this church because, you know, my whole generation's been coming here for years, and that's your excuse, and that's what you do, and you don't question anything because you're basically lazy. Um, well, you kind of deserve to be misled. Or maybe you just like your ears tickled. You know, maybe, maybe I don't know, you're coming from another religion and you just want to be the, quote, better religion. So you, you sign up on some new kind of religion and you just spend all your time now, you know, backbiting your family who's still, you know, stuck in that old religion because now you're this much higher than them because you know better and you're a spiritual giant now and all that. What's the motivation in that? Sounds like it's always about you. That's not about glorifying God. Jesus wasn't like that at all. Like, never. Paul wrote, I could have come to you with superiority of speech, but I didn't. He basically said, you know what? Chances are I'm way smarter than you. He basically said that in his own humble way. Chances are I'm really smarter than you, but I didn't come here to browbeat you or to impress you with my language because I don't want you to think that these doctrines that I'm teaching are from me. I don't want you to think that. I want you to know that they're from God. I want your confidence to be in the Lord. Hence our title. Okay, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So your first question is, well, how the heck do I do that? You ready? Ready? Drum roll. Ready? Here it is. You open this book, and you read it. That's how you know. You open your Bible, and you read it. You don't go on, well, they feel kind of creepy. You could say that about me. I hope you don't. Why, you, why is Don smiling? I don't know what that means, Don. <laughs> I just gave him some nice cold medicine recommendation. Now he's laughing at me calling me a creep with his eyes. If you don't read your Bible, you're lost at sea. You will not be able to discern anything of any real value. If you go on your feelings, <laughs> but, you know, the guy, he makes me feel so good. Don't you, don't you think that there are huge churches out there that that's literally their specialty? They warm up your feelings with like 30 minutes or 40 minutes of music with professional bands and stuff. What do you think that's all about? It's to get you emotionally going. Do you understand? And when you're emotionally going like that, when you're intoxicated, 
If you've ever been drunk, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're intoxicated, the next thing you know, anything goes because your inhibitions are down. Your guard is let down. Hmm. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Go to 2 Peter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Be very careful who you listen to. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But, and don't be surprised where these false prophets come from, right? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there, are, there will also be false teachers among you. Whoa. So we got to keep our guard up always? Yeah, you bet who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Go to 2 Corinthians 11, 13. 2 Corinthians 11.13. Again, the point of the board is beware. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false shepherds, false pastors. Just because someone builds a pulpit or maybe even a church around them does not mean they've been spiritually gifted by God. It just means they have a pulpit in a church. So? That doesn't mean anything. 2 Corinthians 11.13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers. We just had 75 parts on the deceitfulness of sin. Deceitful workers, disguising themselves. Imagine that. They creep around. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. A messenger, remember Angelos in the Greek, a messenger of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. How about 1 Timothy 6.3? Go there. 1 Timothy 6.3. 1 Timothy 6.3. And the point on the board, spiritual gifts are given by God, no one else. 1 Timothy 6.3. If anyone, false teacher in view, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I just got a nice, some feedback from uh, Lydia Fredericks over the course of the weekend after she read the blog titled Church Ordinances. said she was on a social network, and half the time the people in this so-called Christian group, all they were doing was bickering about church ordinances. Well, this is right, and that's right, and you should do this, and you should do that. And she said, I just gave up and left. 
That's what, that's what uh, Paul is writing around here, about here. People just bickering. They're just, they're, they're um, was un, uh, uh, morbid, in, they have morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, which arise, stri envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicion. I've been on Facebook, and I've been called a Nazi. I've been on there where so-called other Christians have berated me publicly. Over things that aren't even in the Bible. I would give them Holy Scripture and leave it alone. They didn't want it. There's big, these long diatribes about how emotional things are and how I'm a wrong based on their emotions and their feelings about God. Jude 4, go there. Jude, verse 4. Jude, verse 4. You have to wonder, what's someone's motivation if all they're doing is plucking and making issues out of stuff that's not even in the Bible? It's because they're trying to establish themselves as something special. Turn on the TV, the crackpot TV at uh, uh, midnight or past and look for the so-called Christian channels and look, with the, look for the guy with the fire behind him with the Armageddon sign. That's the kind of guy I'm talking about. The guy who's just, you know, pumping up, you know, fear and, and brimstone and, you know, the earth is flat and all this other stupid, ridiculous garbage because he wants to make himself something. But you know what the Bible says? That person is nothing. They know nothing. All they're interested in is making a name for themselves. What's the easiest way to do that? Start a controversy. You want to get a lot of people here? I'll start teaching something bizarre. Right? I'll start taking a political stance against, like, the, I don't know, the town selectman or something. Local pastor takes stance against, all of a sudden, yeah, you preach it, brother. I'm a preacher. Oh, you preach it, brother, yeah. And then, you know, six months later, they're all gone. This guy was a crackpot. Jude 4, for certain persons, false teachers, have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand mocked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God, we're going to get into that, the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And how about one more, Matthew 7, 15. Matthew 7, 15. Oh, yeah, I could, we could fill these seats. How about it? Hoorah, right? DJ, you on? We just got to compromise a little bit here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the, uh, the ends justify the means. You don't get to compromise Holy Scripture just to get more people, you know, supposedly to the gospel. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of the false prophets. Some of you have red letters, correct? Beware, that's Jesus. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. But they're pretty. Yeah, exactly. They're angels of light. But they're handsome and they're attractive. Exactly. Who do you think Satan's going to send you, dummy? Seriously. You going to listen to the bum? Are you going to listen to, you know, Joe Snazio? 
No, serious. Some of you are laughing, but some of you actually do that. How do I know? Because I'm that intimate with my congregation. All of a sudden it got quiet, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beware. That's all I can tell you from my perspective is beware. Spiritual gifts are given by God, no one else. If the fruit of a person's efforts is always directed towards themselves, chances are the claims made are void of godly substance. The Bible warns us specifically in the area of shepherding, and you can guess why, obviously based on our lessons over the past week or so. You know how valuable that relationship is. So that's just one example that deals with one specific spiritual gift that has been the topic of our consideration as of late. I hope you do see the danger in a person functioning outside of their own spiritual gift. Not only is the person confused, that's the least of the problem, to be honest. Because if a person is confused about their spiritual gift, really it's, it's internalized, right? That's an issue between them and the Lord. One person's affected. So that's the least of the problem. But if a person's confused and starts functioning in a gift that's not theirs, say like a shepherd, the church is now infected. The whole church is infected with a type of malady that must be rooted out. In the case of a false pastor, imagine how difficult it is for the church to perform this action. Imagine the consternation it causes in those who have mistakenly invested in propping up a false pastor. And imagine the conviction it takes to reject someone's claim to such a spiritual gift, or anyone wrongly, for that matter. I've actually had to do just that, in fact, on several occasions. It doesn't happen much anymore, but when I first started out, I used to get people all the time saying, you know, I think I have the gift of pastor. I'm like, that's cool. And I would, I would say, let's talk about this, and, you know, I'll start, you know, steering. We'll, we'll, I'll put you some, under some tests and stuff like that. Never lasted. If they even got through the, you know, the pastoral epistles that say, hey, is your family in order? That kind of stuff. A lot of times it drops right there. You understand what I'm saying? So I've had to do it uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, the people aren't happy, but what am I supposed to do? I pick up my Bible and say, this is what the Bible says about this position you think you're gifted in. You don't have it right now. You can't. But I'll leave the rest of those details for another day. For now, let's consider the primary principle on the table this morning. And please don't forget our series title. This is important. The Lord is our confidence. We're building up to a point. We're going to, these things are going to coalesce, right? The Lord is our confidence with the connective tissue being that it is the Spirit of Christ that endows individuals with spiritual gifts. We must be, listen, we must be, the point is, we must be confident in his choices, never man's. We must be confident in his choices, never man's. This is why, while I'd never denounce a seminary, I think one of the fundamental issues with seminary schools is the message they send to potential students. It goes something like this. If you get a degree from our college, you too can become a pastor. That is a huge mistake. 
and it's downright misleading. Why? Because it creates a man-made formula, a man-made formula for becoming a pastor, putting man in charge of doling out spiritual gifts. The message is something like, oh, young man or old, you do this and you become that. If you just do this thing, then you too can have this spiritual gift. Where's God's choice in such an equation? What gives any school, any formal training? That'd be like me saying to those people I mentioned earlier, hey, if you, here's, here's a hundred page document. You know, if you, if you fill out all these questions and answers correctly, I'll ordain you. Without any scrutiny whatsoever against Holy Scripture, without any spiritual discernment whatsoever. If you fill this thing out, here, you, can, you too can become a pastor. Where's God's choice in that? My disclaimer, I'm not suggesting that good and properly gifted men don't attend seminary. I'm not saying that. But the realization must come before the intent to attend such a college. All right, back to our instigating principle up here on the board, perspective on spiritual gifts. I can't really give you a better perspective on spiritual gifts than this. I really can't. The gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift or gifts is not about you. It's about your benefit to the church for others. After all, when you're functioning in your spiritual gift, that is literally Jesus Christ saying to his bride, I have something for you. Isn't it lovely? How dare we muck with that, right? It's almost like we get Jesus' attention, we swap it out, whatever's in his hand. Huh? We put ourselves there instead of the one that's actually really endowed with the gift. We do a switch change rule. That would never happen, but you get the point. You get the visual. The Corinthians had a lot of things backwards, just like we American Christians do. They were deceiving themselves the way many of us do, even today. This is why Paul wrote the following. Now keep the key principle on the board in mind as we read. I want you to think about uh, spiritual gifts as a gift from a bridegroom, Jesus Christ, to his bride, the church. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And it's His Spirit that empowers all of it. Okay? First Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, again, the context, Paul typically had to write, again, write to these people because they had something goofed up. Something wasn't going right in the church. And in this case, what do you think the Corinthians were doing? I want to be this, or I want to be that. They started doing what most Americans do. I belong to the church with the biggest steeple, with the guy with the curliest gel curl hair and the brightest teeth. I belong to the church with this. I have this spiritual gift that puts me higher than you, oh, lay people. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. 
Verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Let, or excuse me, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Are you ready to see the point on the board substantiated in Holy Scripture? Here you go. Look at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And what's that say? For the common good. Oh, you mean for others? Yes. For others. For those others in the church. For the common good. That's why he gives you a spiritual gift. Any questions? Again, the point on the board, the gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It is about your benefit to the church for others. Verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effect of, uh, effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Remember, some of this was context-specific. Do you see, though, the point we're studying here this morning, do you see who the beneficiaries are of all these gifts given by the Spirit? It's others. That's the whole point. It's for the common good. Verse 11 but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as man wills, seminary wills, uh, school wills, mom and pops will, grandma so-and-so wills. No, as he wills. Just as he wills. Do you see who exactly chooses your spiritual gift? is the person who says to themselves something like, you know, ah, I really admire people who have this kind of gift. And so I think I'm going to claim that one. Is that any good? Is that from God? Who gives that gift in that scenario? Who decided? An example is teaching in the prep school. Just another example, a public one. And he likes to use public ones because we can all relate. We can all kind of see him, understand some of the details and the nuances of it and maybe what it takes to be in there. If a person pursues a false claim, the kids suffer because that person isn't gifted. In the meantime, lo and behold, someone who is gifted, say in the same local assembly, someone who is gifted in that area hasn't stepped forward yet because they are too fearful that they wouldn't know how to teach because maybe they never have. And maybe the slot has been fulfilled. So they figure, well, God found his teacher. I guess it's not me. So you got one person in that shouldn't be there and another one that's, you know, discouraged from actually stepping up who actually has the gift. You see the dynamic? To this latter person, I dedicate a reading of Moses who was pretty self-deprecating concerning his so-called human abilities to lead. He's kind of like, are you sure? It's me, Moses. Are you sure? 
not sure I got what it takes here, but we'll go. <laughs> I hope you get the point. Verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet as many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Or the con on, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on, the, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And you might even get into the idea that he's talking about the innards. You can't see my heart physically beating, but I think it's pretty important or my stomach, or my bowels, or my kidneys, or my liver. You can't see much of that, right? And if I was to throw my kidney out, you'd be like, ooh. You'd say, that's even uglier than the pasta, right? And you'd probably esteem it less. But if I don't have that thing, I, I could die. The whole body suffers, in other words. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, verse 23, those members of the body which we deem less honorable... On these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Just put it that way. If my liver stops functioning, you know what? The rest of my body feels pretty crappy, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then uh, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Uh, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show, and I show you still a more excellent way. Again, up here on the board, perspective on spiritual gifts. And just so you know, that last verse can be confusing. I actually did a little bit of a study on that, where it says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's almost like a statement saying, but you, earnest, you desire greater gifts but I'll show you a better way. That's the nature of that statement. So don't be confused. Like at the end of all that, he says, hey, but forget all that. You should all try to be this. No, he's saying to the Corinthians, you guys desire these greater gifts, but I'm telling you a better way. It's called love. It's called love. 
Again, the point of the board, the gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift from the, or to the bride from her bridegroom. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It is about your benefit to the church for others. Earlier in the same book by Paul, he summarized much of what the Spirit's saying to us this morning. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, 18. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. First Corinthians three, verse eighteen. <clears throat> Let no man deceive himself. What does that mean? We can deceive ourselves. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom look, in the case of like a teaching position or even especially in a shepherd, if you think you're hot stuff, you're not ready. If you think that's the reason, because you're so learned, let's say, you're not ready. That's what he's saying. Don't deceive yourself. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, you're the, uh, maybe you own a cleaning company. And you clean, you know, commercial buildings for a living. And you say, I have to be gifted in cleaning the toilets at the church, because look at how good I am. Watch this. Spick and span. I must be gifted. No, that's your work. That doesn't mean you're properly motivated to clean the toilets at the church. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to be in the prep school. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to pick weeds out there. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to, I don't know, put a pup tent in the woods, keep an eye on my air conditioning. Maybe that's you. I'm just saying. Throwing it out there. Joey's got some old MREs from the Army. We could give you some. I'll give you a little spork. Remember those sporks? I'll give you a spork from... Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, it'll work. You'll be good. It's probably a spiritual gift. <laughs> Melissa, you in? Yeah, Melissa's like, ah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. So the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are what? Useless. Yeah. Never depend on man's opinion, especially on the, the idea of spiritual gifts. Uh, you can be encouraged from your shepherd, like me. I might see something. Maybe a friend might see something. Be encouraged. But at the end of the day, it's between you and the Lord. So let's step back now and see the big picture here. Again, the Lord is our confidence. That's what we're building on. Some of you might be, may not, you know, like, let's say, the spiritual gift the Spirit's been nudging you towards. Some of you may not like it. Others may already be functioning pretty well in theirs. But here's what I have to say to you this morning. Please, as a member of the body and bride of Christ, for whom your spiritual gift was given, please do not persist in yourself determination, if that describes you. Please do not persist in your self-determination, if that describes you. Always remember that spiritual gifts are a function of God's grace. Spiritual gifts are a function of God's grace. And remember the following, our old friend Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my 
ways, declares the Lord. You might say so, but I'm so gifted in business, so I should become the church treasurer. No, you don't. No, you shouldn't. You probably try to run the church like a businessman, and church is not run by businessmen. Or maybe you have a, uh, a penchant for, uh, I don't know, technology or something. Or maybe, I don't know, somebody want to help me out here? I don't know, screwing in light bulbs. Thanks for your help. Right? Screwing in light bulbs. You're the best light bulb screwer in, our, in history. You say, I'm just, I'm just the bomb. I'm just going to be the light screwer in her. I don't know. Or maybe you're a musician. Oh, my God, don't get me started on musicians. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Maybe you're a musician. You think because you can play gigs at night for a bunch of unbelievers that you should be up here leading the congregation. What I know is we cannot ever pigeonhole the grace of God. His grace is His to give. His grace is His to give. If you have a certain spiritual gift, you will be confident that God has given it to you. How? And don't come up with preconceptions like some people do. Oh, I'm confident. Best light bulb turn. Watch this. You see that? Let me do it again. Slow motion. Right? Or if you're Portuguese, you go like this. If you're really Portuguese, you stand on a stool and the other Portuguese turns it. Right? And then the third one builds a stone wall for safety purposes. <laughs> hey, those are my people, so I can make fun of them. His grace is his to give. If you have a certain spiritual gift, you will be confident that God has given it to you. How? He'll also give you, you ready? A measure of faith to convict you, as Holy Scripture describes. Go to Romans 12.3. You know what Romans 12.1 and 2 look like. That's your spiritual form of worship. Uh, sacrifice your whole body, right? But look at verse 3, Romans 12.3. Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Have sound judgment. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In other words, faith to accompany something like your spiritual gift so that your confidence in the Lord's choice exists. Does that make sense? The Lord God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And for clarity for this morning, faith to accompany your spiritual gift, so that your confidence in the Lord's choice exists. You mean you chose me for this? Yes, I chose you. Are you sure? Like Moses. Yes, I'm sure. I'm God. But that seems so lowly. You know, that one goes. It's, it's beneath my pay grade. I can't do I can't pluck weeds. Come on. Look at me. Uh, hmm, look at me. Look at my cuticles. I don't do it. I got to type, you know. That's the person that needs to be in a tent. But I digress. Faith to accompany your spiritual gifts so that your confidence in the Lord's choice exists. And that's about yourself even. 
For just as we have many members in one body. Look at this. Imagine this. A whole other chapter, a whole other context. And what is he writing about again? For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one another. Sound familiar? Sounds like 1 Corinthians 12, right? Hmm. So I guess this is not a novel idea. Probably not a novel idea either that, you know, 2,000 years later, Pastor Ed Collins is teaching it to all of you in America. And then verse 6, part A, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Those that are given by God, of course, is implied. So let's come at this from another angle. Mm, Kind of running out of time, but we'll plug on a little bit longer. Let's come at this from another angle since both the Corinthian church and many American churches struggle with this same issue up here on the board. You ready? Perspective on grace. Because that's really what it is. These are grace gifts. Bridegroom to bride. Grace gift. Here you go. Out of love. Perspective on grace. We have zero right to deem God's grace acceptable or unacceptable to us. Zero right to deem God's grace acceptable or unacceptable to us. We are not the standard bearers here. Our only duty is to accept whatever God's grace gives us. If he's giving it, we must receive it also. A quote, no thank you, isn't a godly option. That's the whole point. Again, perspective on grace. We have zero right to deem God's grace acceptable or unacceptable to us. We are not the standard bearers here. Our only duty is to accept whatever God's grace gives us. If he's giving it, we must receive it also. No thank you isn't a godly option. In other words, just to cover all bases here, and this is what the Spirit's doing, obviously. If God says to you, here, take this, and you really don't want it, let's say, say a certain spiritual gift, it is your job to take it and use it to his glory. That's Romans 12.1 and forward. We just read from three on, but if you go back, I know that's a lot to ask. If you go back two verses and read Romans 12 and 2, that's what he's getting at. If God says here, take this, and you say you don't want it, say it's a spiritual gift you don't really want. Say you're like, I'm afraid to stand before, I don't know, four to 12 or 13-year-olds. I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know if the... I don't know if the Spirit's going to fill my mouth. I'm afraid. But for some reason, the Spirit keeps nudging you. Hmm. So you think he's, he's in the business of embarrassing people? That's his business? He wants you to go in and make a fool of yourself, and the kids are going to throw tomatoes at you? And be like, you're not as good as Mr. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. Is that really? Who's that about? It's about you. Of course it is. It's about you. Who, who are you doing this for? You? So you don't look like a moron? You, have you seen this lately? Have you seen some of the things he's made me say? Some of the faces I have to make just to keep you awake? Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's, it cannot be about you. As soon as it's about you, you've gotten in the way. You say, hmm. I'm going to take another spiritual gift. I'm going to take one that's a little bit more palatable to my lifestyle. Even though for years now, God, the Holy Spirit, has been trying to destroy that lifestyle and your idolatry 
and your obsession with yourself. You see the whole dynamic. Anyways, if God says, here, take this, you really don't want it, let's say, like a spiritual gift, it's your job to take it and use it to his glory. On the flip side, if God says, hey, I don't want you to have that, I'm giving it to someone else, for example, a spiritual gift again, it is your job to accept his better judgment and seek your own grace. You don't have the right in either one of those cases. Both of those situations, when handled appropriately, not only glorify God, but you ready? Also benefit others. You are no benefit to the bride if you're disjoint, if you're out of whack, if you're where you shouldn't be or you're not where you should be. Either one of those situations, you're not the benefit you're supposed to be to the body of Christ. And so you have to think about that for yourself. So don't allow yourselves to become offended by God's choices regarding His grace. To a previous point from this past week up here on the board, the perversion of grace. This is an old topic, if you remember, from, I don't know, probably a, a year ago, I don't know, many months back, we talked about the perversion of grace. Grace is the means of salvation and deliverance. Grace is not accommodating to the human flesh the way many Christians would like to believe. In fact, grace provisions are offensive to the human flesh because they are exclusively God's to give. The flesh has no part in it. Grace is not accommodating to the human flesh. What did God say? If you think you're wise, you need to be humbled first. If you come to the table and say, isn't it obvious which spiritual gift is mine, huh? You've already missed the point. You've missed it. You've missed, you've missed it. You think it's about you. It's never about you. It's about others. It's about Jesus Christ trying to give a gift to his bride. And you just happen to be the instrument of righteousness. Read Romans 6. Present yourselves. Take your marching orders. Remember present? I think it's peristemi. Take your marching orders. Present yourselves as instruments of righteousness. Does it really matter if the great author is the one penning the sentence? If you're the pen, if you're the instrument? Does it really matter what it is you're writing? Shouldn't you just be focused on the job at hand, pouring ink on the page in someone else's life, helping God write someone else's story? I know I'm waxing poetic, but whatever. Shouldn't that be your focus? Yeah. But that's never the case. If you say, I'm not a Bic. I'm a Parker, at least, maybe a cross pen. So some of you remember those fancy pens back from the day. I'm not a Bic. Maybe you're one of those mechanical pencils. Click, 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 click. It snaps all the time. Click, click. Nobody? Only, only a dork engineer? Maybe you're that person. Maybe you're the one you have to shake out and lick. Shake and lick. Come on! Maybe you're that person. Some of you are. God's like, will you come on already? Trying to write a story in someone else's life, and you're pretending to be a cross pen over here. You know, in your little velvet case, you know that one? Only brought out for special occasions. Some, some of you, that's how you, I, I really believe that. Some of you actually think that way. Case in point, cleaning up the church. In my velvet case. No, 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 don't open up. Like a vampire. No, 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 no. 
my nice velvet case right here. I'm going to let all the old people, all the big pens and the people who I think are big pens, you know what I'm saying? The ones that have bad knees and hips and backs and migraines and everything else. I'm going to let them do it. Because you see, I'm in my velvet suit here. I just lay. I'm a cross pen. That work is beneath me. You follow my, you follow I'm getting at? Uh-huh. Some of you are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've actually never been to a cleanup. Mm-hmm, I wish this would end. I'll tell you a little secret on that, though, honestly. You can take it for what it's worth. That, to me, is more discouraging than having my air conditioner stolen. Having people in this congregation not step up and do something, you know, so-called menial is more discouraging to this pastor than having my air conditioner stolen. They're a bunch of morons who don't know any better. Maybe on drugs even, I don't know. What about you? It's beneath you? I know, right? Happy Sunday morning. Some of you, I'll take the tent job now. I'd still rather do that than pluck weeds. Because all I gotta do is sit there and go, zip. My pearly little fingers can do the zipper, no problem. Am I offending people? Good. Good. Shake it out. Taylor Swift? How does it say? Shake it off? Shake it out? What is it? What? Somebody stand up and do the dance. Somebody do it. (laughs) Nobody? Is that you? Yeah, you're the one who said it. It was Brendan, wasn't it? It was Brendan. Brendan's like this. He's practicing. He's, I can see his fingers going. He's like, shake it off. I know the chords. I could do it. I'm going to do it, Pastor. I could do it. I told you, those musicians, man, they're crazy. If we truly wish to understand what the Spirit's been teaching us as of late with respect to the Lord is our confidence, it is imperative imperative that we never lose sight of what grace really is. What it really is. It's not just God pouring out gifts into your lap. That's how some churches teach it and people eat it up. Because they never challenge, like I just challenged all, I love all of you, you know that by now. I just challenge you as my family to get off your duffs, get off your velvet little cases that doesn't happen in most churches. You know why? Because they don't understand what true grace is. They, maybe they do, but they're too cowardly to actually teach it. They will only teach grace is about you. What can you get from God today? God just wants to pour it on your lap and just wants to keep on pouring it. Because He loves you. What about being an instrument of righteousness for the sake of others. Where is that in all those messages? Where is the true understanding of the sphere of grace? If that's all we are supposed to be, selfishly looking at God, what have you done for me lately? Keep it coming. It is imperative that we never lose sight of what grace really is, and more specifically, what its purpose is on the grand stage. And I'll close this way. Two key points. If we lose sight of grace, we lose sight of our reason for confidence. That you may have to chew on this afternoon, and I invite you to do so. Some of you got it already. Some of you are like, I don't get it. 
Some of you need to go back and listen to this message again. Lo and behold, it worked. No hiccups that I can see. Watch, there'll be no audio. There'll be some foreign dude talking over me. Uh, you have no idea the attacks we've been under on the technical side of things, but whatever. If we lose sight of grace, we lose sight of our reason for confidence. Chew on that. I'm out of time. This sort of, or this is sort of the corollary to the key principle from Thursday evening's message. So keep that one in mind on the board, and then also we'll close with this one. If the Lord is your confidence, then you are not. If the Lord is your confidence, then you are not. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Oh, we're so very grateful for your patience with us. We are slow learners, Father, but your grace, your mercy, and your love overcome all of it, despite how ridiculous we can be in our flesh. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and back out to a world that seems to be running away from our Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.